North Point, how are we doing this morning? We doing okay? Hey, ready? All right, here we go. Uh, we're starting a new series today that is called Far From God. Far From God. And we're thinking about this concept of people who are far from God. When I say that, when I say that phrase, people far from God, like, like what pops in your head? Who pops in your mind? Is it a certain person that you work with? <laughs> That you're like, that person is far from Jesus, right? Or maybe it's a type of person. You have an image or a caricature or something in your head of a person that's far from God. When I say the phrase far from God, I'm so curious, like, what goes through our minds? Maybe it's somebody who has one of these yard signs in their yard, right? Or maybe someone who has one of these yard signs in their yard. Or, or maybe you're thinking it's people who have either of those yard signs in their yard. I don't know. Do you think those people are far from God. Or, or when I say far from God, do you think of a map? Maybe you think of a map with people who live way over there, across the world, or, or maybe a little bit over there, or, or maybe somewhere over here, deep, dark Africa. When I say far from God, people far from God, what do you think? Do you think people who live in some other country that you would never visit? And so you're thankful. We're thankful for guys like Tim Chanter, who's dedicated his life to reach those people far from God. Is that what we think about? When I say far from God, do you think of this guy? Someone who looks like this? Is that what pops in your head? And you think, man, I hope my daughter marries a guy. Or do you think of a girl like this if you have sons? Is that the person you think of when you think of far from God? Far from God, what is in our head when we think of people far from God? I want to tell you two stories of two people that, that come into my head. I have a few people that pop into my head when I start using that phrase far from God. Two people that pop into my head. One is a kid named Sean Rennie. Sean Rennie was a seventh grade kid. Sean Rennie was one of those seventh grade kid. Do you know what I mean? Like all you really wanted to do was put your hands around his throat and give him a nice tight hug. You know what I mean? He was one of those kinds of kids. Sean Rennie was a kid in my youth group, the very uh, first church that I served at. Uh, he was in my youth group, and I was pretty sure, I, I know I'm a pastor and I'm not allowed to say this, but I was pretty sure that another church would be better off blessed by that family. <laughs> Sean Rennie, man, Sean Rennie is one of those kids that, they, they say that this type of kid either becomes a prisoner or a pastor. <laughs> it's like only two options because he was that kid. I was pretty sure that Sean was trying to get me fired. One of the reasons for that was because we had a sleepover one time. You know, you know those sleepover overnight things that those youth groups do that we're so thankful to God that young guys are youth pastors <laughs> and not old guys anymore, right? We had a sleepover. We had high school guys and junior high guys there, and Sean thought it would be a really good, funny idea if he went after a couple of the football players. Uh, they kind of dozed off for a little while, and he would just write on their face. He thought that, some of you said, whoa, like, Maybe that's not such a good idea. Yeah, but Sean wasn't thinking that. He thought that was real funny. So those guys kind of dozed off and he wrote on their face with Sharpie. Which doesn't come off so easy. So he did that. He thought that was super funny and those guys woke up. And I, I actually thought the guys were pretty gracious because uh, his limbs were all where God put them initially. Right? Nobody beat him or destroyed him or tore him apart. But they did wait for him to fall asleep. And I thought they were really kind of kind because when Sean fell asleep, they figured turnabout is fair play. And, and so they wrote on his face. But they did it with washable marker. I thought, well, that seems, you know, not, 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 a, not a big deal. Sean sort of wrote this check <laughs> that now he was, you know, cashing in on. And so when Sean woke up, though, he had a very different perception. 
Sean was pretty sure that these guys' parents should be called. They should be kicked out. They should go home. The law should be called. Enforcement should come in. They should go to jail forever. And Sean was demanding that happen right then. When I said, hey, Sean, I think um, you kind of got what you deserved a little, Sean just, he, he flipped. He ran away from the event. He called his mom. She came and picked him up. That ensued meetings with senior pastors and leaders. And Sean was pretty sure that Chris should be fired from this job. Sean was far from God. It's interesting because about five years later, Sean Rennie is up at a camp, huge camp in California, um, leading. He had developed and led this program for post-high school guys that really introduced them to Christ and then discipled them in such a way that they were becoming leaders left and right. Sean really, really far from God? I don't know. Second second person that pops in my head is um, a guy named Nick Barabee. Nick was uh, one, of my, uh, one of my bosses, one of the churches I was working at. Uh, a lot of times when you work at a church, you get paid, we call it chump change. <laughs> you get paid a little and you work, you know, 80 hours a week. So you got to have some other jobs to make ends meet. And so I was working uh, for a pest control company. I, I went around and sprayed uh, death chemical for like ants and roaches and stuff. And it was a great job. And, and my boss, Nick Barabee, who had built this business, this franchise from nothing, it was just him in a garage and he had built it to be a, a really successful small business, 10 employees, whatever. And so Nick Barabee, was my boss. Nick was far from God because Nick was part Buddhist, part Hindu, part made up religion, part like uh, animistic, part kind of whatever vegan, I don't know, whatever worked for him. He kind of put into one bubble and that was sort of his, his religion. He was far from God. The interesting thing about Nick was that Nick was the most gracious, kind, generous, honest, caring boss that I had ever had. Matter of fact, the way that Nick conducted business was, was, was to the nth degree in terms of integrity. And I'm working at a church at the time that didn't have the same business practices. Well, Nick was obviously far from God. Are you feeling the tension a little bit in this? When I say the phrase far from God, what pops into our heads? What kinds of people? And really, how, how far from God are they? So we start a series this week. We want to, the teaching team wants to tell uh, one more story. Over the course of four weeks, we want to tell you one more story. It's found in the scriptures. It's going to be um, uh, the book of Jonah. So if you have a Bible, you can go there. If you have an app, we'd love you to open that up. That would be a great place for you to be. There's some uh, fill-ins in that app if you're interested. If you don't have the North Point app, you can even download that right now. No cost to that whatsoever. Great way to follow along and all the verses are in there. But if you don't have that, you don't have a smartphone uh, or that's distracting for you, if you have a Bible, if you need the Bible and the pew back in front of you, that's great. Book of Jonah is where uh, we're heading because the teaching team wants to tell a story over the next four weeks and introduce you to four characters in this story. We're going to meet one of those characters this morning, and we want to ask a question on each of these characters, this concept of, well, well are they far from God? And what does that even, what does that even mean? And, and my hunch, as we've sort of unpacked this already as a team, uh, teaching team, um, there might be some surprises along the way. The folks that seem obviously, obviously, Sean Rennie was far from God. I've never met another horrible seventh grader in my whole life. He was obviously far from God. Or, or was he? Well, as we jump into the book of Jonah, those are the questions we want to ask about some of these characters. How obviously far from God are they? Uh, if you are familiar with the story of Jonah, um, that might be a danger. 
So if you've been in church forever and you grew up on flannel graph, if you don't know what that is, that's okay. Uh, if you grew up on that and you remember veggie tales and you've got all that in your head, <laughs> maybe that's a danger because you're already along the road in that story and you, you, you kind of know what's coming and so you're thinking, oh, I know where we're going. I just want to caution us. Just like, let's, let's try to figure out how to embrace the story in a new and fresh way. If you're not familiar with the story of Jonah at all, that's fantastic. We're going we're gonna to go at it for the next four weeks. But if you need a refresher or if you're not familiar with it, in the app notes, there's a link that uh, sometime when you, later, you can punch that. It'll take you to a video. It'll give you a nine-minute overview of the book of Jonah. Just help you set it, even if you're really familiar with it and you've, you've heard this event a hundred times. Maybe you just want a better sense of where that story is set, who Jonah is, what's going on in the time of the world uh, that it happens at. And so there's a great link there if you're into that. That'll give you a little overview. Let me just give a one-minute verbal overview so we're on the same page with Jonah, who he is. You're there. Give you a minute just to find that book if you can't. Uh, Jonah, <clears throat> Jonah was a guy. Jonah was a prophet. Prophet is a person that speaks for God. Th- this was Jonah's like day job. Every day, his normal, regular job was to speak for God. Basically, he's supposed to be listening, and when God tells him something, he's supposed to communicate that to whoever, who, whoever he's supposed to communicate that to. The book of Jonah, we get dropped into his life on one average, normal day. So, so when, when what's going to happen happens, this is not unusual for Jonah, for, for God to communicate to him and give him some task to do. Now, we don't know how many times this has happened to Jonah. We don't know if this is the thousandth time, because in a minute we're going to see that God's going to show up and give him a job. We don't know if this is the thousandth time that's happened, or, or maybe this is the second time that's happened. We just don't know how long Jonah's been doing what he's been doing, but he's been doing it for a while, and I think the key thing to have in our head is the fact that this is normal for Jonah. This kind of concept is a normal everyday. This was his job. This is what he's supposed to be doing. And we know that God is going to ask him to do something. Like, I'll tell you that on the front side if you've never heard this story before. God's going to ask him to do something. And Jonah's going to have the ability to either run or respond. He can either run or respond. And that's kind of made for for at least a real simple overview of where we're headed in Jonah. Jonah chapter 1, first verse. It says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Mattai, to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come up before me. Let's pause for a second because we just jump right into this, the daily life of this guy where, where God communicates something to him in such a way that it's going it's it's to change his trajectory, it's going to change his life, it's going to impact him in such a way that he has to make a choice to run or respond. And the thing that God asks him to do is to go, two things really, go to the city called Nineveh, and then to preach against it, right? He says, go to this great city. Nineveh was great probably because of its size, probably because of uh, its importance. Nineveh is always known as one of the principal cities in the Assyrian Empire. And so there is some sense of, of uh, either size to it or importance to it. And so God uses this marker of great with it. And he says, preach against it in verse 1. Preach against it uh, in verse 2, sorry. It says, preach against it because its wickedness had come up before me. A really literal way to, to translate that would be to say, inform them that their wickedness has come known to me. Inform them that their wickedness has come known to me. Like God is saying, Jonah, I want you to go to this place and tell them that I know. That I know. That's Jonah's task. Let's, let's pause here for a second because if you, if you know the story of Jonah, 
you know that sometimes people, because of what's going to happen uh, at the end of this chapter, the beginning of chapter 2, and I don't want to spoil it if you've not heard this story before. I want it to be fresh and exciting. So because of what's going to happen here in a few minutes, uh, some people say, well, Jonah can't be a true story. can't be a real event because there's some miraculous to it. There's some supernatural to it. And in the app, there are six reasons why uh, the way that this is written leads us to believe that this was absolutely a real guy that had a real event. And really, there's not a lot of other ways of reading that. And just because there's something supernatural, there's something that science might struggle a bit to explain, although it can be explained even scientifically. Some people have rejected this story. And I don't want to go through all six of those with you this morning. They're in the app. You can take a look at those. There's actually dozens more. You could do some Google research. Point that I want to make is that Jonah was a real guy in a real place doing a real thing. God said, go to this place and tell him that I know what's going on. Tell him that their wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3. It says, but, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port and after paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Isn't that kind of funny? Just to stop and think about that. Isn't that like a funny thing? Like what was Jonah thinking And I want to say so much about Jonah right now, but we're not introducing you to the character of Jonah this morning. That comes in week three, so you got to kind of wait for that. But what's he thinking? Like, is he thinking he's going to hide from God somehow? See, it's interesting because God said go to Nineveh, which is over here. And Tarshish, in Jonah's mind, would have been the furthest possible place he could have gone away from where God told him to go. So I I don't know that, that Jonah's thinking he's hiding from God as much as he's saying, I'm not doing that, God. You can find somebody else. As a matter of fact, I'm going to make it real hard because instead of being anywhere near that place, I'm going to go to the furthest place possible because I'm not into this. I'm not doing this. Call somebody else. I'm real busy right now. So it's interesting because he does not want to be anywhere near these wicked Ninevites. I want to, so much I want to say about the Ninevites, but we talk about them next week. We'll introduce you to those characters next week. But just suffice to say that they are known for their wickedness and their cruelty. So much so that somehow that came to God's attention and God said, Joan, I want you to go talk to him about it. And Jonah, instead of doing that, goes to the absolute furthest place that he could go. It, it's kind of interesting. I've told people over time that, um, that Jonah's like my favorite missionary because he totally doesn't want to do what God's asking him to do. There, there's another pastor, another missionary in the New Testament. His name is Paul. This is what he says about preaching. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 16, he says, For when I preach the gospel, I can't boast since I'm compelled to preach. See, Paul was a much more willing preacher than Jonah. Jonah's trying to get out of this. Jonah's trying to flee. Jonah's choosing to run instead of respond, where Paul says, man, I'm compelled to do it. He says, matter of fact, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Like, Paul is so willing to do the job that he's called to. He says, like, it's wired into me. Like, I'll die if I don't do it. Jonah's like a totally reluctant preacher. You'll see what I mean by that in a minute. Let's jump to verse 4. So Jonah takes off, he gets on a boat headed for the exact opposite direction to go as far as he can. It says this, it says, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Captain went out to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Is this crazy? 
This is crazy. He gets on this boat, and we don't know how long he's on this journey, an hour, a few hours, half a day, a day, I don't know. But Jonah's on this journey on this boat, and this gigantic storm comes up. Now, the character we get introduced to this morning is the sailors. Sailors, uh, for a living, what they do is sail. I know that's like a, that's a huge, it was like a meta statement. I was like, oh, you're so smart. That's what they do. Like their whole lives are wrapped around sailing and boats and water. That's who they are. That's what they do. And so some kind of storm hit that had the sailors so freaked out. Like, we got to somehow get our heads around this. Matter of fact, where it says that the, the ship threatened to uh, break up, the most literal Hebrew translation of that is the thip, ship thought she would be broken to pieces. It's funny how the author ascribes, like, thinking to the boat, like the boat was freaked out, right? Uh, th- this idea that, that in, your, in our heads, in our, in our, in our holy imagination, can we, can we hear the sounds of the ship beginning to twist, the creaking of the timbers. Can we hear that? Can we hear the sounds of the masts snapping or the ropes breaking or the sails being torn off the masts and and, and whipping around wildly? Can we hear the waves crashing into the sides of the boat? Can we hear the boat as it goes up on a wave and slams itself back down? Can Can we get that in our heads? And sometimes we read this story and it just goes by so quick and we're just like, oh, they were in a storm. No, they were going to die, right? And so this ship is making these sounds and the waves and the water and it's coming over the bow and, and, and it's just terrifying. And sailors sail. Like, this is, no, this is not, uh, storms are normal things for them. They're not afraid of storms. They're not afraid of water. They know how to deal with their boat. But there was something different about this one. Something different about this storm that has them freaked out. And we know they're freaked out because the account tells us they were afraid. But we know they're freaked out because one of the first things that they do after they've tried to figure out how to batten down the hatches, I don't even know what that means, by the way, but it's a boat term, but they try to figure out whatever it is you do to boats and storms, they've done all that and it's not working, they start throwing cargo overboard. Sailors get paid based on taking cargo from one place to another, right? They're throwing their paycheck away because they're so afraid they're not going to make it. It's a big deal. It's a big storm. So they're throwing cargo overboard and that's not helping. They're thinking anything we can do to lighten the ship to get that boat up above the waves so that we don't die. These are normal, everyday, regular sailors who normally this is their everything. This is not scary. They're they're sufficient and skilled and they know what they're doing. Well, they are terrified. So not only are they afraid, not only are they throwing their paycheck away, anything to, to live, but they start doing this other crazy thing. And it usually happens when we hit the end of our rope. They start praying. You get that? You get that? Check it out. Verse 5. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to their own God. They don't even know what God they're crying out to. They're just hoping for the best. See, they lived in a culture back then where there's lots of different gods for lots of different things. If you think like Greek or Roman mythology, it's pretty, pretty close to kind of how it was going. There was a god of land. There was a god of the sea and all that kind of stuff. And they're calling out to any god. Because they don't know if, like, the God of the sea's ticked off or the God of the land's ticked off or if it's his God or her God or that God or my God or someone's God. And they're crying out to any God they can. You just smell the desperation on that ship? These guys are terrified. And they're throwing cargo overboard and they're freaked out and they're crying out to gods. Second half of verse 5, and this whole story changes with a tiny word, but Jonah. I wonder if the Bible uses the word but. Like, that's a big deal. Like, stop, pause, hear that, because something's happening. But Jonah. And what's Jonah doing? 
you want sleeping? <laughs> like, does that, it's, it's got to make you like, laugh or sad or some kind of an emotional response. Jonah is sleeping. Sailors are freaking out, giving up paychecks in order to try to live. And Jonah, not only is he choosing to run instead of respond, he's choosing to sleep instead of respond. Jonah is below deck, just snoozing away. What, a, what an uncaring character. What a, what a clueless character. These, these sailors who, frankly, we might assume are far from God because, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know. Whatever the stereotype is in your head of a sailor, back in the day, I don't know if you're thinking pirate and, you know, hook and eye patch and all that kind of stuff. Whatever you're thinking of salty sailors from back in the day, that's ah, their character maybe. Maybe we would make an assumption they're far God. And the story tells us when, it, when, when all hope is lost, they start crying out to all different kinds of gods. They've got all kinds of religions going on. And maybe we'd look at that and we'd see how these sailors are just far from God. And it's interesting because Jonah, who's got the answer, just decides to stay asleep down in the hold. Kind of a crazy, crazy thing. Here's the point I want to make on this. These guys, these sailors, just normal, everyday guys. Just regular people trying to get through their daily life, right? Ship the cargo from this place to this place, make the dollar, come back, uh, buy their wife something nice and their kids a new Christmas present or whatever, whatever the daily thing was, right? And we might assume that they're far from God because their spiritual life seems to be all over the map. It's the last-ditch effort they turn to spiritual things. They, they turn to any spiritual thing that might work for them. We might assume these guys are far from God. They're not interested in spiritual things until the storm hits, if you're using the app, we do some fill-in things on there. If you're involved in that, that's a, that's a fill-in to plug in there until the storm hits. I want this in your head because it kind of begs the question, what about our lives? Like, 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 who do we know in our lives? Who are the sailors in our lives? Just the regular, normal, everyday people that maybe you assume they're far from God. Their life is just cruising along until the storm hits. Jonah's asleep, clueless and uncaring. He'd rather sleep than respond. And we're going, what is going on on this boat? Verse 7. It says, then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to figure out who's responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us who's responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What's your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered and said, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the God, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? And they knew that he was running away from the Lord because he had just told them so. And the sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up, throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. It's weird. I don't want to pass this. This is weird. I want to linger here for a minute. The sailors do what they're supposed to do. They've done everything they can to the ship. The storm is getting worse. They can't figure it out. They've, they've called on all the different gods. They've done everything that they can figure out. And one of them, I don't know which one, probably the short, probably the seventh grader in the group, had this idea where he says, hey, I know. Let's cast lots and see whose fault it is. Now, lots is kind of a back-in-the-day way of figuring out, like, like, what they're supposed to do or who was at fault or what the next decision is. And um, I want to make it sound more spiritual than it is, but if, 
be honest with it's really it's just casting dice. I mean, <laughs> rolling dice. If it lands on seven, it's Jonah. Okay, seven, it's Jonah. Um, and sometimes, because God, I think, has this great sense of humor, sometimes he comes through, through lots. It's so bizarre. I'm not suggesting you go home and do that. Do we sell our house and move to another state? Let's roll dice and find out. I don't know that's the best way to make a decision, but sometimes God comes through. And these sailors who are desperate at this point for anything, they cast lots, the lots fall on Jonah. They look at him and they go, hey, what did you do, man? See, in their minds, because their whole spiritual world was so wrecked and so weird, they, 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 they were under the impression that their gods, these ones they're crying out to to help them, their gods are capricious. Meaning sometimes those gods back in the day would just pick on people just for the heck of it. You know, like they get bored sitting up wherever they're sitting or whatever. So they just kind of pick on innocent people just for giggles. Right? And so they're thinking, the sailors are thinking, well, if that's the case, then, then maybe we do like an Odysseus or like a Hercules thing, and we like, we like help this kid out, we help this Jonah out. But if he's guilty, then, you know, we want to get away from this guy. So they ask all these questions, what did you do, where are you from, what's going on? And Jonah says, it's so interesting to me, because Jonah seems to have this faith in God, he seems to be so close to God, so not far from God. Jonah says that, man, I serve the God of the sea and the land. This freaks the, the, the sailors out. They're like, oh my gosh, we figured out which God is ticked off. Kind of the funny thing is there is no other gods. I mean, Jonah's God is the only God. And so they look at Jonah, these guys who are sailors, and it's their task to sail, and they understand boats, and they understand water, and they understand storms, and they understand their whole entire world. They look at the preacher and they go, what do we do? What must we do? Like they're so desperate because the storm hit and they're afraid for their life. That question that they asked Jonah, the what must we do, it's interesting because it sounds like another question that, that pops up in the Bible sometimes. A question that people sometimes ask when they encounter Jesus in a real way whether it be through some kind of a, uh, an episode between them and Jesus, or maybe it's because they hear the gospel preached in a way that just cuts them in the heart. And they ask a question to whoever that person is or directly to God, and they say, what must I do to be saved? Those questions seem awfully familiar. When the sailors look at Jonah and they go, what must we do? We don't want to die. What do we do to live? Sounds a lot like what must we do to be saved. What an opportunity Jonah has. What an opportunity Jonah has to talk about the only God, the true God, right? The God that he knows, the God that he's running away from, the God that he says, I don't want any part of your plan, God. And we'll, we'll learn in a few weeks why that is. Jonah will tell us in his own words. But, but why, what in the world, what an opportunity. And so I come back to us again and I say, so, so what about us? Like, who, where are the waiting relationships in our lives? The, the people that maybe are just trying to get through the day, just do their normal everyday Mary and Joe and Johnny and Sally job and things and just trying to get through another night with a kid who doesn't fall asleep and another day with a boss who doesn't get it and another way to stretch a dollar just a little bit more to make those ends meet, just trying to get through life. And, and maybe these are people that haven't responded to you as you've talked about going to church, you've talked about Bible studies, you've talked about whatever you've talked about. They're just not really interested in spiritual things. But you're, you're, you're postured, you're postured in such a way that when the storm hits, like you have this great opportunity to respond to the opportunity, or I guess to run from it. Like, do we know who those relationships are in our life? Well, let's finish the story because I don't want to just leave it hanging there. 
They say, Jonah, what are we supposed to do? We don't want to die. Jonah, I don't know where this came from. I got to think there was some other better answer, right? I don't know. But Jonah's so convinced that he says, just, just pick me up and throw me in and it'll all be good. And verse 13 says, instead, right, the sailors, the men did their best to row back to land. These are still good guys. Like they're like, ah, that can't be right, dude. And so they try to row back to land, but they could not for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man for you. Lord, you've done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So they try and row back. It's not working. They finally give in. They're like, whatever, Jonah, whatever. And they pick him up. And do we have our holy imagination on? Are we still hearing the sounds and smelling the smells? Like, like can, can we picture, our, like, yeah, the storm was bad already. The sailors have done all that they can, they, everything they know to do to sail. They've battened down whatever. They've pulled in the thing with the mast and the stuff and the ropes. And yet, it's getting worse and worse. They've thrown their paychecks overboard to try and lighten the thing. No matter what, we just don't want to die. They've woken up passengers like Jonah and said, cry out to your God because none of our gods are listening. And it's getting louder and louder and louder. They've asked Jonah these questions and it's getting louder and louder. And the storm is getting worse and worse. And eventually, they give in and they pick Jonah up, and they throw him overboard, and the, the language there, it says grew calm, and I struggled with this verse a little bit this week, because I wondered if it took time or not, and, and the word literally means the waves stood still. I think it was immediate. I think Jonah went into the water, and the waves collapsed on top of him, and it was like that. I think those waves just stood still, and it grew deathly calm. Another way that word can be translated is, is laid flat just laid flat. It just stood still. It just calmed immediately. That would freak you out, wouldn't it? Like, we don't know how long this storm was. It's funny, again, we read it in like two minutes or something, but was this like four hours or six hours of storm? I mean, it's long enough to do all the things that they did, even question the passengers, right? And this length of time, I think, is important because all of a sudden, after all this chaos, after all this stuff, after all this struggle, after all this disaster, they, they throw Jonah in, and it goes deathly calm. And I think it's at this moment that the sailors are probably most freaked out because what do they do? It says they, they, they had the right response. It says that they were greatly afraid of the Lord. That seems to be the right response. They're praying to all these pretend gods that don't exist and nothing's happening because there's nothing that could happen and they're like, whatever. But when God intervenes, when God shows up, they're like, oh, we found him. And they respond properly to that. Did you catch what they did next? They worshiped. It says that they made sacrifices and vows to the Lord. That's worship. Like they worshiped him. They worshiped God. The sailors are the character that we're meeting today. In the beginning, they seem so far from God. But at the end here, do they seem that far from God? What a strange turn of events. Sometimes the Bible is frustrating to me because it just leaves us. It doesn't finish the story. And I, I want to finish the story with the sailors. Like, I want to know what happens to them tomorrow. Like, when they, when they get back home and they're telling their moms and wives and fathers about this story. Like, like who are they? Do, do they? do they ultimately, like, dig into this newfound faith in God and it takes root and they become lifelong followers of God? Don't know, right? Did it just impact them until they got home and got off the boat and they just forgot about it, went back to their normal lives? Don't know. But what we do know 
is that initially the sailors seem so far from God, maybe even a lost cause because they're so religiously tweaked. All their crazy false gods and whatnot. But in the end, we see that they really weren't all that far from God. God had them on a journey towards him, whether they knew about it or not. And what's funny is that even though Jonah didn't want to play a part in it, that God still had him play a part in that. Which begs the question then from us, begs the question from us, who are the sailors in your life? Who are the sailors in your life? The normal, average Joes, regular Marys, just trying to get through life in one piece. Maybe they seem far from God because they're not interested in spiritual things, they're not interested in the things that maybe are important to you. But when the storms of life hit, what an opportunity you have to speak into their life. Do you know who these folks are? Like, are you aware of your friend's spiritual temperature? Or are you just asleep in the bottom of the boat? Just kind of cruising through life, doing your own thing. Meanwhile, there are storms in people's lives all over the place. And we have a great opportunity to either respond or to run. We know who these folks are. We have a sense of where they're at in life. Do we even know that? Or when we think of people far from God, we think of people who don't look like us, we think of people who are different than us or far away from us, who don't believe the way that we believe, and we just kind of write them off. Or are you postured and positioned in the lives of people, waiting relationships for when the storms of life come to respond? Let me finish with just two thoughts, and then we're going to sing. But two things that I want uh, you to listen for over the next four weeks. As we unpack this series more, we're going to introduce you to three more characters. Today we looked at the sailors. We'll introduce you to three more characters. But there's two phrases that I just want you to have your ears perked up for, because you're going to hear them over and over again. And they're this. Number one, don't assume who's far from God. Don't assume who's far from God. We'll unpack that over the next couple of weeks. But the idea being, like, like actually dig into where people are at. Where are they at on their journey towards Jesus? Don't just assume who's far from God. The second phrase is this, will you respond or run? Because when it comes to it, when the opportunity comes, when the storm hits, when the sailor is there, when they're asking, what must we do? Will you respond or will you run? We're going to finish with a song. The only thing that I'll ask is while we're singing, maybe you're just talking to God about, hey, who are those people in my life? Who are the sailors in my life?